0: Each episode is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs and has an accompanying audio course on SpeechTherapyPD.com. We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast to earn ASHA CEUs. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. This subscription gives you access to all existing and new audio courses from SpeechTherapyPD.com. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com slash KEYS and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Thanks for joining us at KEYS for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. A weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers to discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Sustainable Volunteerism. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. This is a live podcast, and we encourage guests to ask questions. You can type your questions in the chat box. As a reminder for this live episode, to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Mary Beth Hines is the host of Keys for SLPs and receives compensation from SpeechTherapyPD.com. She has no non-financial disclosures. Erin Mercer receives an honorarium for this episode. She has no non-financial disclosures. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. Erin Mercer, NA CCC, SLP, MBA received her master's degree in speech-language pathology from California State University Fresno in 2008, and her MBA from Ohio University in 2019. Erin has been a practicing SLP for the past 13 years. She has worked in various academic, private, and medical rehabilitation settings, serving individuals of all ages and diagnoses. She has also contributed to several research journals, state and national seminars, workshops, and books. Her latest contribution was to the creative development and editorial support of a children's book, I'm Just Like You But Different, a story about living with cerebral palsy by Christine Ebanks. Erin currently provides consultative services, educational workshops, and seminars Partnering with therapists, nonprofit organizations, caregivers, and others who seek strategies, recommendations, and support to further communication skills of individuals. Welcome, Erin. It has been so fun to get to know you, and we are so happy to have you here on Keys for SLPs to talk about sustainable volunteerism. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. That was a mouthful to say in terms <laughs> of my background. Sorry for that. Oh <laughs> uh, well, don't apologize. Actually, you were very humble. I could have talked for probably another hour about your bio because every time we we've, we've spoken and getting ready for this podcast, I find out that there's another thing that you do. So don't apologize. I, I it was I was just scratching the surface on that one. So. <laughs> Speaking of which, tell us about your journey as an SLP and your experience volunteering. I became an SLP. I actually was going to go into
1: nursing as my major, and it kind of got diverted into speech pathology, just having wonderful mentors and wonderful classes to, you know, just to get the experience. And so I went down the road of research, actually, fluency research. uh, And that's what I thought I wanted to do and dedicated my life to as much of as what I knew of it, being a young college student. And that didn't happen. And I decided then let's work on becoming a well-rounded SLP. So I started working in, you know, all of the schools, the medical settings, all of the different variety of settings you could think of. It wasn't quite fulfilling enough for me. I wanted to do something more, something else. So I started looking elsewhere and I get these periodic emails from like just, U.S. governmental agencies and stuff. And there was one that I clicked on from Peace Corps, and it had this job description for pretty much a speech pathologist to help build this program in South America. And I looked at the requirements and I thought, wow, I fit most of these. Maybe I should, you know, apply for it. So that's kind of how it started. It's been a wonderful journey kind of since then, and it kind of really brought in my horizon since then, too, of what it means to be an SLP and what it means to work internationally and how can we make our work more meaningful, not just to the people we serve, but to yourself, too. So, yeah.
0: Well, that is wonderful. Now, when was it that you served for the Peace Corps? The first time around.
1: (laughs) So between 2015 and 2016, I was in South America in a country called Guyana, and they were looking for a speech-language pathologist to be able to help manage and develop a newly built program. It was a program in theory right now because they didn't have anybody to be able to teach classes or get everything started. They had the students who are interested in the program, but they didn't really have anything else past the framework that was already set in place. So actually, maybe I should backtrack a little bit. Through the Peace Corps, through this email that I got, I applied for it with the help of my husband at the time, who actually filled out my application for me that I dictated to him the answers for it. And between the time that I applied for the position and then came down to Guyana was about four months. At the time, I was working in a SNF as a full-time speech pathologist. So I quit that to be able to go down to South America. So I really only had four months to figure out finances and everything else
0: (laughs) (laughs) to be able to do that. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind sharing, because I think it is such a fun story. Tell us about like when you clicked on that email, because we've all had like different times in our lives. We're like, wow, I just clicked on that. And that, that, that changed the course of something. So you were actually making dinner, right?
1: That's right. I was making dinner and the application was due at midnight. My husband and I were looking to go and see the midnight showing of the Avengers. And we were cooking dinner. I had about 20 minutes before we were supposed to meet our friends. I said, I couldn't fill out this application because it wasn't enough time. And Travis had said, "Why don't I just read you the questions and you tell me the answers. And I'll type it in for you. All right. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And it was actually it went well. I filled out the application, didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, there's a lot more qualified people to be able to handle this position than me. I've been a speech bath at that point for maybe seven, eight years. It's not a lot of time. So there are professors out there. There are retired professors out there that have so much more experience in management and teaching courses and finding clinical placements and doing all of that that I thought, yeah, probably at the bottom of their barrel. Because I also missed their first interview because of the time difference.
0: I love that little part of the story.
1: (laughs) So I did an interview and I thought, well, you know, we had a nice connection. It was great. And they decided to take me and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. So I went down actually with an occupational therapist and a physical therapist. Occupational therapist was doing the same thing I was going to be doing, but for the OT program in Guyana. And a physical therapist was going to be working at one of their major psychiatric hospitals. So we came down kind of as as a rehab team. And that was in January 2015.
0: Okay. Okay. And thank you for sharing a little bit about you not thinking that you were, you know, you knew you were qualified, but you felt like there were other more qualified people out there because that just inspires other people to, you know, go for it. Even if you're not sure you're going to get something like that, just go for it and have faith in yourself that you may have the qualifications and you may be the very best one out there for this. Particular adventure, and you certainly were. So, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. And, you know, I'm sure everybody listening and watching is familiar with the Peace Corps, but we might not know exactly the background and its mission. So, before we, you know, dive into the actual mission that you were on with the Peace Corps. Can you tell us a little bit about how it was established? It was established its mission statement and how it is organized.
1: Right. So most people know like the Peace Corps volunteer opportunity as like a two-year volunteer. You have 27 months, pretty much. And you can, you list a country that you're interested in and in different sectors that you're interested into. So it could be health, it could be education, it could be environmental. And you could decide that you're interested in going to Africa, different parts of Africa, different parts of Asia, wherever else. And that's generally what people think of when they think Peace Corps. But they also have a segment of Peace Corps response volunteers, and that's what I was. And response volunteer, they have particular skill sets that, I mean, you're pretty much applying for a job when you go in as a Peace Corps response volunteer. They're looking for a particular person with a particular set of skills. And these positions can range from three months to a year with the possibility to extend. It's kind of up to you to decide and the organization that you'll be working with to decide how much of your service is needed. So my service was a year long. In terms of like Peace Corps' mission, they have pretty much three things that they wish to accomplish. The first is to really help the people of the interested countries in meeting their need for trained men and women, so their sustainability. Second, they're looking to promote a better understanding of Americans on the part of the people served. And then third is to promote a better understanding of other people on the part of of Americans. So how then do we share our cultures across different countries? So in regards to the sustainability part of Peace Corps, because their entire premise really is sustainability. And I think of it as you go in and you help them and you leave kind of without an actual footprint. Now they're the ones to continue to continue with the projects and initiatives that they wanted to start to begin with. So in your service, The first half of it is where you set up the projects, the initiatives, everything, the organization. And the second half of it is where you start to hand off a lot of your responsibilities and projects to your, what they call the counterpart. So it's somebody that you work with closely in that country who is supposed to now continue on with doing what it is that you are doing and grow it and continue it and develop it even further from what you've done. And that's the ultimate goal is how then do you help build their own capacity, build their own sustainability, not to what it is that we think is appropriate, but what they know to be appropriate for their country.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. And yeah. um, as such, that was your initiative with the Peace mm-hmm. Corps Guiana project that you worked on. Correct. Yes.
1: Yeah, so that one was, we were developing a bachelor's level speech language therapy and audiology program. And this was going to be housed within a four-year bachelor's degree program, but this was going to be the last two years of that degree. The first two years, the students take general courses in rehab, so it would be in OTPT on speech. And then the last two years, they specialize. And for speech specifically, they're taking now courses that ASHA has put together in conjunction with the Pan American Health Organization, PAHO. And so together, they've developed this framework that's similar to kind of the courses that our students take in the master's program of early childhood, language courses they take, articulation courses they take, speech courses, dysphagia, aphasia, all of those. They're taking courses in that as well. And that's what they do for the last two years. And they also go through clinical placements. So I think there's like six placements. And that was part of my responsibility is scoping out different sites to be able to house these placements into.
0: Okay. So your job was to go seek out these placements. They hadn't been contacted at all before. So for example, you would go to a SNF and explain that you are a speech language pathologist and you are training other people to be, you were calling them speech therapists, right? Speech therapists. Yes. Okay. Some of them, I imagine had never even heard of the field. No. And that's
1: kind of you're working in tandem of trying to find placements while advocating for the field and trying to educate in terms of why is our field necessary? And so the SLT program, uh, yes, I was looking for clinical placements, but I was also helping build a pipeline of professors from the U.S. to teach online courses for those two years to our cohort of students In our first cohort of students, there were five students. We started with about nine, and four of them dropped out for various reasons, and we were able to graduate five at the end of their two-year program. But building a pipeline of professors to be able to teach the courses without really interruption between courses, finding clinical placement sites and supervising them, finding cases that the professors might potentially want their students to be able to see of the challenges and the disabilities that they're teaching about, can I scope out maybe potential patients that have those areas of need? So we were looking at medical placements, we were looking at school placements, and we were able to find those fairly easily. What was nice is that there were a bunch of facilities that already had rehab in there. So a lot of, I mean, they all know what physical therapy is and physical therapy had been very prominent all throughout, you know, Georgetown, Guyana in general. So people knew what rehab was. They knew then it was physical therapy, but then you start to introduce speech therapy and they're like, well, what's that? I talk just fine. (laughs) We've all heard that before, right? (laughs) So then that's when we have the opportunity to educate of, well, it's not just talking that we do, and this is how else we could help. And I'm looking to train some of your local people in this area so that they can help others too. And so that's kind of how we we got our in into some of the facilities. So rehab was already there and just making connections with those that are in charge of those rehab centers.
0: Okay. 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 All right. So it sounds like some of the keys to success to the program was the collaboration between ASHA, PAHO, Peace Corps, and the ministries, the pipeline of professors. And then what were some of the other keys to the success?
1: So we were also, yes, we were able to establish a pipeline of university professors who are rotating to teach courses every three to four weeks. And we did really need to have that collaboration between the Ministry of Health, Ministry of Education, ASHA, who else was involved, Peace Corps, and all of the local facilities that we were looking to do this with, and the University of Guyana, because that's where we were teaching the courses. That's the program that was setting, that was the the university that was setting up the program. And then we also had a lot of donations of resources. And this was in terms of treatment material, diagnostic material, activities and games, different textbooks, online resources. And all of these eventually became a library for the university as well. So there was a wall that housed a lot of this material that students can check out and use. And we would teach them how to use this material because that was also a key thing too, is we can send all of the resources in the world, but if we don't teach them how to use it appropriately, then it's not ever going to be worth what it is that we want it to be worth to them. A lot of the time when countries gain resources, they're not quite certain what to do with them. So in this case, a lot of the time, some of those resources get locked up in a closet because they don't want it stolen. So, you know, I'd rather have them used than be sitting in some sort of closet.
0: So it sounds like you had to really encourage them to use them and not be as concerned about them being taken. Yes. Well, the students were
1: fine with using the material. It was more of others who were receiving the donations of, okay, well, we've got this. This is great. We don't want to let go of it. And just explaining and, and educating again of like, well, it's, it's okay that we're going to be using them. So if they're going to be used, let's just use them. Mm-hmm. And if
0: we lose them, that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. So as far as the donations go, was that one of your responsibilities as well to ask people for the donations? So I did start a donation request during my time there, and then it
1: was followed through by the speech pathologist who followed me after my service was done. So she continued to help the students in the rest of their coursework, their clinical placements, and also continuing to build this library So we got donations from Asha. So Gloria Weddington is, this is kind of her passion project and she's the head person of making sure that all of this was working. Because of her, I was able to receive contacts for a pipeline of professors. She helped really disseminate my donation letter around to different organizations in the US of I'm looking for resources, activities, toys, whatever it is that we could potentially use down here. So she helped gather a lot of those too. And she's continuing to follow through with a lot of the work that still needs to be done with this particular program. She would be the one to talk to, I think, (laughs) mostly about the continuation of this particular project. But it
0: definitely sounds like you
1: wore many hats. (laughs) Yes, you have to. (laughs) And I think we're all used to that as being speech pathologists too. We always wear many hats.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you mentioned that someone came after you and that was absolutely key to the success of the program.
1: Absolutely. So I think one thing to mention with this program, and I think there were other programs that were similarly started in terms of having a framework and having the interest for that country to house such a program. But the difference between those programs and this one is that we had a person on the ground. That person initially was me to help organize, to help communicate and to help really just connect the different stakeholders across the board and making sure that we hadn't dropped the ball on something or to follow through on something. And so having a person on the ground, I think is highly important for that. So I advocated with Peace Corps to have somebody else take over when I left. I could not continue my service. I knew I only was able to serve for a year since I had a family back home. And you know, I was only... I need to go back to work. <laughs> um, uh, so I was able to find somebody who's interested also in continuing this program. So she flew down. Her name is Daphne. And she flew down and she continued to graduate our five students through the rest of the program, continuing with the pipeline, really organizing that library and getting a lot more resources for that and bringing others down too. So there were other... Individual SLPs who are interested in coming down to Guyana, they must have heard about us through the grapevine of some sort, were interested. And so that was really helpful in terms of we had others who were helping supervise clinical placements. What's challenging with that is there's only one of me or one of her mm-hmm. and five students. You can't observe all of them at the same time. We're helping them through, especially in the very beginning stages, right? They need to have that full one-on-one support or that observation. Like I'm watching you while you do this and let's change this because maybe this might be a better way, but I can't see all five students at the same time. And so spacing them out and allowing them to have the number of clinical hours that Are necessary for them to graduate that class, it became a challenge. So yeah, having more other SLPs come down for short periods of time to help do some of that was also
0: helpful. Well, that's great. Okay. And then what happened after Daphne left?
1: So we have five speech therapists that are practicing in Guyana. A lot of them were on scholarship through the Ministry of Health. So the Ministry of Health was paying for their education in return for them working for the Ministry of Health for the next certain number of years. So many of them are still working
0: for the Ministry of Health in different facilities. So in that sense, it was sustainable because the work continued on after you left. It is still thriving
1: and just it looks different now. There is nobody specifically on the ground full time. What I had recommended to the University of Guyana is that they should advertise for paid instructor positions for people to come down and actually teach, have a position, a paid position for what I was doing and what Daphne was doing. And then also maybe set up some sort of like exchange program with other universities that have SLTs. So in the Caribbean, there are other SLTs around. Could we have some sort of exchange there? That was something that we thought could improve sustainability. And then also to promote speech careers in secondary schools. So not a lot of students in high school, middle school, nobody knows what it is that we do. Of course, very rarely do we know what we do here in the U.S. either. Right. (laughs) I I didn't hear about the speech pathology field until I was in college uh, taking courses in it. So how do we make this field a little bit more known and how do we advocate for that? better? How do we get people interested? Because when you talk to high school students, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what degree do you want to get? Or what direction do you want to go? You hear the general doctor or nurse or lawyer, engineer, whatever it might be, teacher, but they don't see anything past like those bigger categories. It would be nice for them to just know about the speech pathology field. And if you're interested in helping people with communication challenges, there is an avenue for that. And look, there's an avenue for that within the University of Guyana. Maybe you know, Absolutely. that should be something you should explore. So. so did they follow your recommendation? So it's a slow moving process. I believe we're still using a lot of volunteer professors from the U.S. There are people that come down periodically to help teach. There are mentors for our five homegrown speech therapists that are there. I don't know how much advocating there is within the secondary schools or talking about exchange programs or offering scholarships to potential students. I mean, there are scholarships for for promising students through the Ministry of Health in terms of like, if they pay for your education, then you work for the Ministry of Health for a certain number of years. So there is that kind of relationship. I mean, it is thriving to a certain extent since we do have another cohort of students who are currently in a program. And there is talk about having a master's program within the University of Guyana that's following the speech path too. So ours is a bachelor's program and there is talk now of of starting a master's program.
0: Oh, that's exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad because that's part of the goal, right? In terms of sustainable volunteerism your projects should exceed past your own skills and knowledge, and it should evolve.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which you have not only worked in the Peace Corps with sustainable volunteerism, but you've had some other other volunteer opportunities as well. I see a question in the chat. How do you address medical SLP,
1: swallowing disorders, etc.? Yes, that is a challenge, because we don't necessarily have the resources for that. So right now, we're not addressing a lot of swallowing disorders or head and neck cancer or anything like that. I mean, there are MDs that do address cancer and and that sort of a thing in the medical setting, but we don't have the resources or the tools or the ability to teach some of these students how to address that better at the moment. So right now, it's more along the lines of more of education-based or outpatient-based. We're going to work more on that communication, the language and speech more so, and some cognition more so than swallowing motor speech disorders and
0: head and neck cancer. Yeah. So that's not yet been addressed. Well, hopefully that would come with the graduate program. We hope so. Okay. And here is another question. Maybe I missed it, but with respect to sustainability, I am the sole support for my family. So while I'd love to take a year, are you saying there's no way to earn money?
1: So yes, I am also the sole support of my family, but of course, I don't have any children. So it's just me and my husband. So I did take a year and it did, it was extremely challenging. Peace Corps does offer a stipend that you would get at the end of the year. It's kind of like relocation costs in a way, but it's not a whole lot of money. So I really, I used a lot of my savings in it to be able to do this. So still to pay my mortgage, to pay the bills, that sort of a thing. It was challenging. And Peace Corps now is offering, it's called Peace Corps Virtual Pilot Program. Right now, it's not open to everybody. It's open to people who have served in the past. But it's a way for people who are interested to be able to serve overseas, but not actually be there to help other countries in their initiatives and their projects. And that's hopefully going to be expanding to other people outside of Peace Corps return volunteers. They're just trialing it right now with those that have already served. So eventually it'll come.
0: Yeah, eventually that would be great because you could stay and continue in the United States earning your income and then also volunteer for the Peace Corps, which you have actually done that with another project. You want to tell us a little bit about that other project? With the Peace Corps? With Peace Corps.
1: Yeah. I just finished a service with, again, back in Guyana, but I was working with the chronic disease unit with the Ministry of Health. And what they were asking for is to work on social campaigns for chronic diseases, that they're seeing an influx of people coming into the hospital with needing amputation because of mismanaged diabetes, something like that. So their goal then is to work backwards and say, well, maybe we need to educate the public a little bit more on diabetes management or what healthy living looks like or portion size or something like that. So then I come in and I create digital campaigns, billboards, videos, audio on how to do that better. So they're almost like advertisements in a way. So I was doing that for a little bit of of time. I want to finish answering your question, Jordan, on are you saying there's no way to earn money? Generally, it's really hard to do. I don't believe you can actually take money when you're in the Peace Corps working in that country anyway. So they provide your housing, they provide a stipend for food, to pay rent, all of that. And it's not a whole lot, but actually in the countries that you're in, it works. You can live like a local person there. It doesn't account though for other expenses that you might have to pay back at home or anything like that. So at least there's that that's covered. Hopefully that answers your question a little bit.
0: All right. So what is your advice to people who are interested in volunteering abroad? I think the biggest piece of advice that I have is really
1: to be flexible and have an open mind and being open to learning. What you think you're going to do there may only be a fraction of the actual role. So plan ahead is you know very important and be organized is highly important. But really, having alternative plans to succeed is probably... The best thing that you can do. You may be going to help others, but you're going to learn a lot in the process. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing to think about when you're looking to volunteer abroad. Also, it's it's important to ask yourself why we want to volunteer. What are your motives in doing so? It's no right or wrong answer. Everybody has different motives for volunteering, but knowing what yours are can really help shape your expectations and your own boundaries. So going into this for me, I... Didn't really have any expectations. I knew the job description. This is what I was supposed to be doing. But I took it with a grain of salt of I'll probably be doing this, but there's probably so much more else that I'll be doing as well. And there will probably be things that I'll be asked to do that I could do maybe or not, depending on what I know of myself and my own limitations and boundaries. So that's, I think, another thing of if you know your own expectations and what you're wanting for yourself. And in this, that's pretty huge. You know, you're going to make a big impact on people, whether or not you think so. And it may not be in the way that you imagine it either. And you'll be impacted by the country and the people, even if you're there for a short period of time. So really think about why you want to do this and gain clarity for yourself is highly important. I wish I had thought a little bit more about that before I went into Peace Corps. I don't regret any of the moments that I've had and experiences I've had there. The people that I've connected with, I still have connections with, and they definitely shaped my working definition of what it means for me to continue to volunteer abroad. But, you know, had I thought about it a little bit more, been a little bit more mindful, I think the impact on me and my impact on others could have been fuller.
0: Okay, thank you for that. Another thing you mentioned was take time to be social, make friends, and enjoy who you are. Was that was that what you were alluding to? Did you take time to do that while yes. you were there? Okay, okay, that's Absolutely. good. <laughs> My students <laughs> knew
1: that greatly, yes. <laughs> yes, I explored all of Guyana. I went to almost every region there was. I probably did a lot more exploring than some of the local people there. But, you know, I wanted to get immersed into... Who they were, and I was there for a short amount of time. I, I think it it's kind of like us who who live in certain like notable cities, right? You always live by the beach. You almost never go to the beach, <laughs> right? It's like it's always there. Why would I go? But then you start to go when people visit you, right? It's a similar mindset of yes, I was I was there to also just experience what it is that they had to offer. So, you know figuring out how to climb a coconut tree, grabbing a coconut, <laughs> learning how to make coconut oil, which was kind of neat, or cassava bread, also pretty cool to learn, just learning the local ways of doing things.
0: That is, that is very fun. So you actually climbed up a, a coconut tree? Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is super cool. Okay, which leads <laughs> us to a comment that you made that cultural knowledge when you are volunteering is as important as clinical knowledge. Absolutely. I mean, all of the skills that we learn very, very much important.
1: Let me back up just a little bit. A lot of what I was doing earlier on as a speech pathologist, my area of interest and area of expertise was in fluency, specifically preschool age fluency. And I followed the Lidcombe program and I learned a lot from mentors that I had specifically in preschool fluency. And one of the things that I will never forget that a mentor had told me is, you know, you might be the expert on the problem or the disorder or whatever it is but the parent or whoever it is that you're teaching is the expert on their child right so if we impart our knowledge to them then they can take it and use it for the betterment of their child so I think about that in the same way when I go overseas and volunteer and and, and teach and advocate and do all of those things too I might have the knowledge in all of these different areas but they're the ones that are most versed in their own people, in their own culture. So let's learn from them too and figure out then how to incorporate a little bit better what our evidence-based knowledge is to what their cultural knowledge is. That's a huge eye-opener too because we are I think we're so used to doing things a certain way here in the US of, you know, our standardized testing and, and our billing codes and all of this. And well we can't do this until we do that or whatever. And it doesn't always follow the same line, or patterns somewhere else. And that's okay, too.
0: That is okay. Good advice. We touched on sustainability. What to you, what does sustainability mean in the context of volunteering in other countries?
1: Yeah. yeah, we have danced around the, the talk of sustainability, but let me ask this, I guess. I'll answer your question with a question. How does the work you started continue to evolve after you leave? Right? So to me, that's sustainability. It needs to evolve and continue past what you were able to give to them. So for me and all of these projects that I've been involved with and continue to be involved with, sustainability means that those projects and initiatives continue without me. In a similar way that we use like scaffolding techniques to help our patients, students and clients learn skills to become independent. Similar thing, I take that concept to really what we're doing with the program's initiatives. So then slowly my involvement changes because the need of the project or the initiative changes and we pivot. Or my involvement lessens or stops because they're no longer needing me. And a lot of that sustainability I'm finding really revolves around education and organization and really How do you educate about how to organize
0: a lot of the time? Okay, thank you. And I love what you've said about your personal goal is always to work yourself out of a job. So if you're volunteering, and by the time you leave, you have worked yourself out of a job, then you know you have been successful.
1: Yes, I do that too, just here in the US. That's my goal here, as well as to work myself out of a job, because then I can move on to something else that I know definitely needs me. And I like that. I see something from Renee here. If you have a spouse and wanted to go volunteer, you could afford it for three months or so. Could spouse accompany you or must it just be you due to housing? Yeah. So if you are going with the Peace Corps, you cannot go with a spouse unless they're also serving. I mean, they can go down there on their own if they wanted to, but they will not find housing for both of you. And you will have to live with their host family that they've assigned you to.
0: Okay. So you lived with a host family. You didn't have a stipend for your own apartment while you were there. I did actually. So
1: my landlord and landlady lived above me and I had one of their bottom units. So they lived there. When you're a two-year volunteer, you do live with a host family a family and you live in their house and they kind of teach you the culture, the language, the immersion of all of it for the first three months. And then after that, I think you can choose to stay with a host family or you can choose to find your own apartment or you know, Peace Corps helps you find your own apartment and you don't have to live with them anymore. I just happen to live underneath my landlord and landlady. And the stipend is provided only for you, not for you and another person.
0: Okay. So you couldn't use your stipend to pay for half of the rent of an apartment because you would be living with an assigned family. Yes. Yeah. So you then pay them
1: for living and and all of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So unless you're going with somebody who is also serving, they don't generally mix that your spouse can visit or they can also live there too if they wanted to, but it would just be they would have to be all on their own in doing that. Peace Corps would not be responsible for that person.
0: Okay. So as far as sustainability goes, you want to work yourself out of a job and make sure that you have educated and taught organization skills to the people that you're helping. Another thing that you said when we talked earlier was, I believe it's highly important to start where they're at and what they've asked for, not where you think, where you think they are and what you and where you think you can be of service.
1: Right. Yeah. We need to really just a lot of the time. And I see this here too, is intent, right? People talk about intent a lot, especially when they talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? So what is the intent of what somebody is saying? Same thing with volunteering. What is the intent of the project? Are we assuming something about it and projecting our own thoughts on it? Or are we taking it for face value based upon what it is we've been actually told? And I think that is highly important of let's actually understand what is needed, not what we think they need and start from there and then build that relationship because we can always evolve that too, to, well, I know you're needing this as you've stated to me, but I could see how you might potentially need this as well. How would you be open to it? So there, there's ways to do that, but really start with them. Just like when we see our own clients, we start with where they're at and their ability level, same thing.
0: Good analogy, and now can we talk a little bit about a good deed versus a sustainable deed <laughs> Yes, uh,
1: <laughs> sustainable deeds are all good deeds, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but not all good deeds are sustainable
1: that's true, yes, not all good deeds are sustainable, and this is kind of one of those things of can we look can we look at a bigger picture of why we're doing what we're doing. So if you come down and you're looking to do a very short-term project, or short-term initiative, maybe for a week or two, it's great. You're helping people, you're doing something, you're serving their population. You're going into this one facility and you're seeing maybe two or three clients that definitely need to be seated. Those are really good deeds. Those are very good things to do, but how sustainable is it? Because once you leave, what happens to those people? What happens to those patients? How do they continue to get the support that you've now provided to them? And that's a really hard thing because sometimes there's not the infrastructure to be able to hand off patients to somebody else. Sometimes it's even unknown (laughs) that you're actually helping these people down here. A lot of the time, I actually I've met a bunch of different SLPs that came down. And they were helping in different facilities across Guyana. And I came across some by chance, not necessarily because I knew that they were coming down to do anything. And often I would meet them at trivia night because we had that on Thursdays. <laughs> at the facility or? No, 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 no. no. Just in, in the capital in Georgetown. Okay. And that seemed to be where a lot of expats go. So we do trivia night. <laughs> it's fun. But that's kind of how you meet other people from other areas. And sometimes I, that's how I would meet some of these people. And they'll say, yeah, you know, I came down because I'm helping out this orphanage and we're working on XYZ. I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. What's going to happen when you leave? it's not always known and it's not always clear. And so if I do know that that's happening, then I make it a point to go to that facility and that organization. And I ask, say, hey, I know that these people were down here helping out. What do you need now from them now that they're leaving? So I will kind of help through that, but that's not sustainable (laughs) because eventually I left too. How do you help support some of that a little bit better when there is no infrastructure to do that? So I think for us as volunteers who go down on shorter trips, can we take a step back and take a look at, okay, we're we're doing really good stuff in the meantime, but then how is that going to carry over functionally for the rest of the time or however long it's needed? And that's just kind of one of those things that will continue to evolve and it's going to continue to be a challenge no matter where you are. But I think if we're mindful about that, maybe that is a step for individuals. That's what I think about every time I go somewhere.
0: Well, thank you. Which leads us to volunteerism versus volunteerism.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I think there's a place for both of them. Volunteerism, volunteerism. I think the goal and intent and expectation of what you do in each of those roles are different. So volunteerism, you're going down with the intent of a vacation with then maybe on the side, you're helping out a project, right? So you're not spending most of your time doing the volunteer work. You're there mainly to sightsee and vacation and do all other things. And, and then you have some time to give and you decide to give it. So that to me is more like volunteerism versus volunteerism. The intent and the purpose of you going down there specifically for that initiative. And so I think understanding the difference between them and what it means to you who's looking to do something like this is important. Just to be mindful, I think sometimes volunteerism gets a bad rap at times too for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you know that's why you're going down there and that's what you're doing, I think that's completely fine. And there's a lot of places on the ground that definitely use people who are interested in really just touring about more so, and then they they can plug you into different projects. And that's that's something to
0: keep in mind too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they have a constant stream of volunteers who are coming to yeah. help with specific projects, absolutely. Which also is more doable for some people who are not able to take a long time off of work here in the United States. And it's always a challenge. I want to remind everyone, we have a few more minutes, so please feel free to ask any questions and Erin will answer them for you. So thinking back to, this is my favorite part of the (laughs) Of the podcast, case studies. So Uh, uh, when we're talking about different therapy techniques, we, we always talk about case studies. So tell us about some case studies. Tell us about some of the students that were in your program and what they have done since you left and since the program went into its next phase. Tell us how your work with them led to their work on their own, which made the project sustainable.
1: Yeah, when you initially proposed this question, I really had to think about it. The entire experience was just you know, so impactful. And all of my students have such different backgrounds. And they have taught me so much, just both personally and professionally. Um, each of their drives, motivations, and ambitions were extremely inspiring. So they really have taught me what it actually means to think outside the box. So I, yeah, I'll share about a little bit of each of them. First, Sonia, when I first met her, she was She's very strong and independent woman. She still is. She was a very experienced rehab aide with the Ministry of Health. So she's worked with the ministry for quite a while. She's very smart, very determined. She's a natural teacher, leader and nurturer. And when the other students needed assistance or didn't understand something, they went to her. Her strength and confidence is really what stood out for me. It was a wonderful example and role model to me as well. Now, she's still very strong and independent and confident leader, uh, and her passion for the field and her own personal career growth continue to be an inspiration. So right now, she is, a, she is working as a speech therapist for the Ministry of Health. She is one that has received the scholarship through the ministry to be able to work for them for the next number of years And she's also seeing her own private clients, and she's connecting with mentors to continue to help guide her practice. Yumi is actually one of them. And she continues to advocate for the field in Guyana, all while researching and thriving for further education. So she wants a master's degree in speech. So really, her independence is what has been most impactful for me in being a role model to me. Lisa is another. She is more quiet and reserved, but very smart and observant. She took feedback very well in all of our classes and clinical practicums and everything. She really tried to apply everything that she was learning to her practice. And she demonstrated just so much potential to be a wonderful speech therapist. And towards the end of our first year, she did go through a life-changing event. And I watched her figure out balancing her personal life and continuing her dedication to her professional career being in classes still. And her strength in finding that balance was an inspiration. And it, it really provided a perspective that I was not fully familiar with. Now she's pivoted from speech to audiology, and she is working on her master's degree in audiology through a U.S. university. I can't remember the name of it at the top of my head, but her like that story just continues to be impactful to me in continuing to learn like that balance of personal and professional. That's really meaningful. Michelle was also a student who stood out, actually, they all stood out to me, (laughs) Uh, but she was, she was the oldest in this cohort and she had daughters who are fully grown. She also started as a rehab aide, similar to Sonia. And what was most impressive, and I'll never forget as I continue in my own journey of like continuous learning and growing, is her dedication to learning. We didn't have in-person classes and clinics every day, but we did about three times a week. And Michelle lives in Linden which is about a two-hour bus ride from the university in Georgetown.
0: And she would take the
1: bus back and forth from Linden to Georgetown daily and every time we had class. She almost never missed a session. She might have been tired, but that dedication to me just is extremely powerful. It was so interesting to watch because I don't really know of anybody else who has that amount of dedication. She was also a rehab assistant when she first came into the program at a major hospital in Linden, and she took her responsibilities to her patients and the field extremely seriously. She's now the head of uh, the Linden Rehab Service Department, and she supervises students in the new university cohort, the second cohort. And she also has a mentor that continues to provide guidance to her too. Actually, I think that's
0: Yumi as well. Oh, so <laughs> I think Yumi hasn't been involved with all <laughs> all of these students now too. <laughs> oh, we love you. I love hearing these stories because we could hear how they, how you learned from them. I mean, obviously they learned a lot from you. They were in a clinical program, but you know, in some ways you learned just as much from them.
1: I did absolutely learn so much more from them. And uh, there's two more. Carrie Ann. Okay. (laughs) Also a strong learner. She was also, like Sonia and Michelle, very experienced rehab aide with Ministry of Health. And the biggest quality that stood out about her was her level-headedness. No matter what situation came her way, she always showed a calmness and a confidence. And I really appreciated that about her. And it's good because in certain situations that we would have, can you pivot? as, you know, a therapist or even, you know, especially a new therapist when something might not go as expected. And she was always able to show that level-headedness. She also is working as a speech therapist in one of the special needs schools in Georgetown, and her interest really lies in psychology. So she's actually pursuing a master's in health management with the recommendation from her supervisors. And then Gordonika, I think is the youngest, But she's always had a strong voice and really advocates for her passions. But initially, when I met her, she seemed very uncertain about her skills, very low self-confidence in that, allowing a lot of the other students to overshadow her who might have more experience being a rehab assistant. So it's been nice to see her transition and grow and gain that self-confidence throughout, you know, all of her coursework. And I know that Daphne had been highly impressed too through her transition. So it's really a pleasure to see like her strong voice shine as she becomes more confident too in the knowledge and skills. She's also looking to further her own education and pursue a master's
0: degree in speech too. So that's kind of where they're all at right now. Well, that is so exciting. Yeah. To think that your program helped them get to where they are now. And then now they're helping so many other people and continuing their own education and all the wonderful life skills and attributes that you learn from them. I would say that was a, definitely a successful cultural exchange.
1: I will say it's not my program. It's their program. I was just a piece of it. And, you know, it's happy to be a piece of it. And I'm happy to that they're excelling beyond what I could offer them because that's how it grows. And for them to meet new people and new mentors and to become mentors themselves to new cohorts of students. That's where the joy comes in for me of like, this is fantastic
0: (laughs) (laughs) to see. So Yeah, not my program. (laughs) No, not your program, just one that you helped. (laughs) Speaking of which, can you talk a little bit about the need for communication among all the different agencies and which, you know, you did attribute that to part of your success, but that didn't come right away. That was something that evolved over time. So when you initially volunteered and arrived, you were not necessarily connected with ASHA is that no. correct?
1: I mean, I'm an ASHA member, but I, R- right. Asha <laughs> <Indiana>. yes. <laughs> yes, no.
0: uh,
1: I was only responding to the Peace Corps job uh, description. And I came down and I started, you know, doing all of the onboarding with Peace Corps and I met my counterpart and she asked me to start teaching courses and getting things gathered together. I'm like, okay, fine. Not a problem. And then she goes, oh, by the way, do you know Gloria Weddington? No, should I? <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, I'm in contact with somebody, a part of this organization called Asha. I'm like, do you know Asha? I'm like, yeah. I am a
0: member of Asha. Yes, <laughs> <So C-C-C-S-S-L-P-S. laughs> I know Asha.
1: <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's kind of how it got started. I'm like, well, I would really like her contact information because she seems like a highly important person to know if I'm going to do anything successful in this country. And so she was the first person that I contacted outside the counterpart, and that's kind of how. It started between conversations with her and trying to figure out, well, what actually is the curriculum? Because there was a full set of curriculum in place for the two years. I only knew bits and pieces of it. My counterpart said, hey, we needed an intro to communication sciences, uh, course to be taught. Here's a syllabus for it. Can you teach it? I'm like, oh, where'd you get the syllabus from? <laughs> Where did that come from? So that's, you know, we, we kind of had to work backwards of, all right, you're giving me this task to do but why are you giving me this task to do? And maybe we can actually figure out the bigger picture of this and that's what we were able to do. So with ASHA involved and the communication with university, with the communication with Peace Corps, because I told my supervisors through Peace Corps what actually was happening, they didn't know either. That's all important. All of the stakeholders are, they need to know of each other at the very least. So that way we're not doing redundant work and we're actually building upon each other and helping the program succeed because we all have the same goal. We want this to succeed. So all of us have different ideas on how to get there. Let's get on the same page on how to do that most appropriately.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And in the end, you did all get on the same page and work together to serve. I don't want to say creating because it's not your, but, but contributing, to the, contributing to such an excellent program and helping so many people who in turn helped others. So, But you didn't stop there. (laughs) You are continuing to volunteer. So can you, we have a few more minutes. Can you tell us about some of your current volunteer projects and some of your plans for future volunteer projects?
1: Sure. Yeah. So outside of Guyana, I have dedicated a lot of my time and expertise to a nonprofit in Jamaica. It's called the Nathan Ebanks Foundation. And I've been a consultant with um, doing workshops and seminars and consulting type work for the past five, six years now. And I was connected with them when I was still in Guyana. I was looking for further opportunities past Peace Corps. And I knew I couldn't stay with Peace Corps because I, I had family at home. But I came across this agency called Multi-Agency of Training and Support, mates, is what it's called, and they're based in the UK. They were working with the Nathan Ebanks Banks Foundation to provide training, workshops, and manuals in dysphagia, diet consistencies, and body positioning to an orphanage that was close to Montego Bay. And so I jumped on board to kind of be a part of that. They had an OT and me as an SLP to kind of give this uh, training session. And what they're doing is to replicate this training across different countries and to see if it's even possible to do. And then, so since then, I've stayed, continued to stay connected with the Nathan Ebanks Foundation. And I've branched out to other special needs advocacy work with them and com- contributed to a couple of her books in terms of like an editorial support. And yes, I also now volunteer with the Peace Corps through their virtual service program. And like I had mentioned earlier, I was with the chronic disease unit in Guyana, and then I'm hoping to continue with a position in Uganda in the next couple of months. And then with my actual job, (laughs) my actual nine to five job, they offer a program to employees who wish to go into volunteerism as well. And I am looking to get a little bit further involved in that program, kind of like how do we make this program maybe a little bit more sustainable too? So those are kind of the things that I'm looking to do now.
0: Excellent. Long-term, tell us what you're <laughs> what you're learning for your long-term goal. Because as I said at the beginning, you're very humble. You are doing several different things. So tell us about your long-term goal, which is so impressive. Oh, well,
1: I, I'd like to do what I do in the Caribbean. So with the Nathan Ebanks Foundation, I work in Jamaica and I've also done a workshop in Dominica. But I would like to take a lot of what I've been doing there to Asia, specifically China. I do see a need there as well. And I have a couple of contacts in China that kind of support my gut feeling at the moment. So I am in the process of becoming fluent in Mandarin. I've given myself five years to do that, (laughs) to see conversationally if I can actually be fluent in Mandarin, because I want to be able to talk to family and caregivers in their own language without using an interpreter. There's a lot that is lost with using an interpreter, and especially that connection of trust kind of really gets lost in that. So that's the goal (laughs) is to, to learn that and go there.
0: Well, good for you. And good luck with that goal. And I'm so impressed with all your different projects. And one of the things that really impresses me the most is your positive attitude and can do attitude. You you know, there isn't really anything that you're not willing to take on. It's fun. (laughs) Well, and I also really appreciate the handout that you provided because you provided a lot of resources. Do you want to talk a little bit about the resources at the bottom of that handout?
1: Sure. Yeah. So in the handout, I have just listed a couple of different organizations. You can always go to ASHA 617, which is the international group, really, for those that are interested in volunteering. There's, of course, Peace Corps that's on their multi-agency training and support. But there's a couple of others in here that if you're interested in volunteering, you can take a look at their websites and see what it is that they're offering. You know, if you have any questions, I think my contact information is at the top too. i I'm more than happy to talk with anybody who's interested in learning more in being a volunteer or wanting to do a project and you're not quite certain how to do it. I'm also happy to brainstorm on a lot of those as well. Let's, let's see how we can get you down there <laughs> or to whatever it is that you want to go.
0: Well, thank you, Erin. Thank you for providing those resources and sure. thank you for sharing your experience with us as I said, I really have enjoyed meeting you and learning about all the different projects and understanding your perspective on sustainable volunteerism. And you've really given us a lot to ponder when we think about volunteering and how to help the people, you know, think about what our mission is and how to help the people wherever we go to help. Thank you so much. And thank you to all of our participants for participating in this live episode. As a reminder, for this live episode to get live CEUs, you must log into your speechtherapypd.com account and complete the entire course content by the end of the day today. And before we go, Erin, I just want to make sure you see the chat. We have some thank yous. Thank you. Very inspiring. The participants have said so you've inspired many, you continue to inspire many. So thank you. Like I said, if you have any
1: questions, feel free to contact me. I'm more than happy to talk. This is a soapbox of mine. so. <laughs>
0: well, wonderful. Now, I did want to just mention all the live participants have your information from the handout and anyone who listens later on speechtherapypd.com. But if there were someone who was listening on one of our other podcast platforms, can you tell them how to get in touch with you?
1: Yes. You can just email me at Erin, E-R-I-N, M-J Mercer, M-E-R-C-E-R at gmail.com. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. I do have my website on that handout, but it's a little long,
0: so (laughs) I won't speak it. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you very much and have a great evening. Great. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.